You're listening to the Winbuild Send Podcast, a podcast focused on evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication. I'm your host, Gabriel Menchaca. Thanks for listening. Play this record as frequently as possible. Okay, so this is uh, this is Gabriel Menchaca. This is Winbuild Send Podcast, and I have um, Alexander. Sema from Tallinn, Estonia with me. Why don't you go ahead and say hi and just introduce yourself a little bit. Hello, I'm Alexander. I'm from Estonia and I'm part of Brace Chapel Tallinn. Been there many years already and yeah. All right, man. So, okay. One of the things I wanted to have you on and talk about is um, you're involved in media, basically. You, you work for uh, um, a lot of media outlets in Estonia. So maybe can you can you give us some background and share a little bit on what you actually do for a living? Okay, so I guess I'll start from the beginning where it all started. And it was basically um, five years ago when I, I, I had like finished high school a year before that. And after high school, I really didn't know like what I'm going to do with my life. So I kind of took a year off and I worked in a style all that that's like a gas station in Estonia. Yeah, it's a great gas station. It has the greatest hot dogs and has other various food items that you can get in the middle of the night when you're starving, right? Yeah, like burgers <laughs> and pretty much anything. But yeah, it was it's like the 7-Eleven of Europe, in my opinion. But go ahead, sorry. So I worked a year there and at, at that time, I would say it was kind of one of the roughest years that I went through in my life because... I was a place where my like parents were di- divorcing and like it was a nightmare every night going home like I didn't want to be there. So having worked in Stadol for a year, I prayed that God would change my situation like I didn't want to go on like that. So what happened was I basically got a connection with a Christian producer who also does like a business, like he rents out flats and I got a flat from him and in the, in the same building he did like uh, search services and also he produced like a talk shows and various other stuff in media wise. And at the beginning I kind of helped out with the sound if there was like a service there going on and it started like that at the beginning and at some point I remember like talking with you and you were like ask him like maybe he'll he, he will hire you and something like that online and when you said that I was like okay I'll ask him and I asked him and he was like next day he hired me basically there you go dude and I started <laughs> <laughs> and I started doing like I started recording, editing, studio setup, like doing talk shows basically, and translating also from English to Estonia subtitles. So I worked a year there. So so was this guy a Christian? Um, um, like, did he own Christian production companies, or just was he just a businessman? Who was he? So he was a businessman. So his business was basically he fixed up like uh, wreck apartments and rented them out to people and oh, okay and he's like side job was basically doing this christian media that he didn't get yeah. 
paid for. And he did like a uh, few TV talk shows and also like uh, uh, online podcasts. And yeah, basically I was doing the technical side of that. Yeah, and we, we, saw him, we saw him do a lot of good stuff. Actually, a few of the people that came through Estonia uh, that came to minister, they were, they were on some of his programs. So, so we do have a good rich history with him. Um, what about, okay, so you're, what are you doing now specifically? Now specifically? Like what's your job now? Well, I'm kind of like passing through, I would say, in a wise. In a sense, I mean, that I'm right now in a university. So, mm-hmm. and I have like a part-time job at uh, commercial television in Estonia. And what I do is basically I do graphic motion design for news program. And I do it only on weekends, basically. And in weekends, we I go to university and study. Have my, I'm right now on my third year in bachelor studies of media. So third year bachelor in media, and um, you're doing an interesting project right now that I think we should uh, definitely give some attention to. Uh, as I understood it, you're doing a documentary on your grandfather that's uh, can right you give us give us just the um give us the outline of that what, what what is that story what is that documentary about so it's my coursework basically for the last semester <laughs> and the documentary is about my grandfather and um the story is basically at the year 1948 at the soviet time of estonia my grandfather used to live in the biggest island of Estonia and uh, on that year, 1948, uh, uh, his father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, in a sense, uh, he gave me, my grandfather, a Estonian flag and said... Okay, wait a minute. Let's stop right there because I think as Americans, most of us have already two questions. Uh, um, one, they're asking about the occupation of Estonia. The Soviet occupation. So this was when Russia came in and took over Estonia, correct? Yeah, it was basically 1940 when Russians came in and took our freedom. So from the year 1940 until, was it 1991? Yes. So from 1940 to 1991, there was a Soviet occupation of Estonia, which meant Russia came in, took over the country, and uh, did it. They did it basically just by force with driving in tanks and troops, right? That's right. And so, and then um, at this point, uh, you said on the largest island of Estonia. So I know that most people uh, are that that would be listening to this podcast might be familiar with Estonia because obviously, you know, my wife and I lived there for seven years, but they didn't know that there's a few islands off the coast of Estonia. How many are there? And um, when you say the biggest one, how many people actually live there? I'm not sure about the numbers, but there are like, I guess, two bigger ones and like few minor ones. Yeah. Island-wise, like, like I would say like Sarama, it's like maybe twice as big as Tallinn or like maybe a little bit bigger even. And... But yeah, about the Soviet Union and the backstory, like on the island. So at the time there, on year like around those years, there was basically uh, Estonian men who like uh, hid in a forest, and they were like uh, outlaw 
So they had like guns and they had bunkers and they were basically fighting against the Soviet Union. And also like uh, Estonian men were forced to serve in Russian army, not the Russian, but Soviet Russian army. There were basically Estonian men on both sides, like uh, people who were fighting against it and people who had to fight with Soviet Russia. And and you can you could even like when you went to a like a bar or you can see like the both sides sitting there and drinking, and they know it like, and that was basically what was going on. And and was there was, was there. A- so yeah. was there a name for the for the guys that were you know in the forest? It's like like what was the Estonian term? The Estonian term is metsamen. It's like forest guys or like forest brothers. I mean, say that again. Metsa. Metsavenad. It's straight from Metsavenad. Le- yeah, it's forest brothers. Basically. Yeah, forest brothers. Okay, that's kind of cool actually. Metsavenad. Um, so these guys are there, and they're basically like the rebels. Yeah, they're rebels <laughs> they're like the, against like the Soviet Union. Yeah, so they're like the underground fighting against the occupation. And then they have family members and friends who are being forced to join the Soviet army. That's right. But, you know, as my grandfather explained it to me, like, it wasn't like, like, you were in deep crap if you were either side of them. Like, there wasn't a a good solution, basically. Right. Because, you know, the both sides, like, there were, like, many assassinations and, like, if if somebody didn't like somebody, there was something, basically, that somebody was going to die, you know, and that was the era, basically. And many of Estonians were, like, uh, taken to Siberia also, like, my great-grandfather and his family. And uh, on that year, 1948... My great grandfather gave my grandfather the flag, Estonian flag, and what it meant to at that time to own an Estonian flag was basically if you were God having Estonian flag, you were going to be deported to Siberia, pretty sure, and that was like against the law to have because it was it was illegal to have an Estonian flag. Yeah, that's right. Like and you know. You should be afraid, like, owning Estonian flag at that time, like, because it was a major risk on your family and on yourself. And and the goal of the Soviet Union was they wanted everybody to be directly um, unified as, like, kind of one community. They didn't want anybody speaking Estonian. Wasn't that true? Yeah, like, they pushed, uh, like, Russian language in the schools. Like, there was no... There was like no Estonian, like the Estonian culture was pushed out of way as much as possible right. to kind of bring out this one nation, one Soviet Russia, you know, one unity. Everybody had to do the same. And yeah, there wasn't much choice like what you could do in life or what you p- can become in life, you know. So having the flag was like a direct contradiction to their, their belief system because you were saying like, like um, to have an Estonian flag was illegal, but it was because they didn't want Estonia to exist as a people. That's right. They wanted to like crush the, like the unity and uh, spirit of Estonia. You know, it's. So... And so, and so your your grandpa's like this OG gangster, and he's <laughs> hiding a. He has this uh, Estonian flag, and he's just kind of like, I don't. What happens next? I mean, 
So You're, you said your great grandfather gave it to him. Yeah. So and my great grandfather said to my grandfather that uh, hide that flag. You might need it one day. So he hide hid the flag inside of the stone fence, basically at his childhood home. And years before, like he tried to find it again, but he didn't. So basically, the documentary is us basically going back there and trying to find the flag. Wow. And after all those years, uh, we found it. The condition, it was like all destroyed and like we found the glot and the glot was like brown and like, <laughs> you couldn't recognize it as black, but he hid it in the shell of a mortar. So oh yeah, that's a pretty big shell, and he like uh, waxed it up from the other end. So we found the mortar shell, and yeah, that was like pretty awesome. Like, like yeah, that's really awesome. Like when we went to record, like to the island to searching for the flag, like um, the camera guy who I had was there with his wife and a child, and like. It was it was so emotional trip for all of the people there. Like, like it was like one of the like highest like moments maybe in my last five years. Like emotion wise, it was like you could really feel it. Like it was a great moment. Like being there and and just like searching this flag. Yeah, yeah, man. Because I think there's such like okay for Americans, we have like in one of our songs. Uh, um, basically we say is like, it, it says that this guy sees the flag, that it was still there. And this idea of, um, our nation in America, people are proud of America, but we've never really had major oppression. We've never really had like a country come in and take over and say, we couldn't be a country. Uh, well in the, in contemporary modern history, but we look at Estonia and it was 1948 to 1990 or 1940 to 1991 that there was another country that was saying, we don't want Estonia to exist. And so then you guys go and you find this flag that your grandpa was was holding, man. And that's just, I mean, I'm sure for anybody in that situation, it's a major moment. Um, so, so then your grandpa, uh, to have and own a flag, you said, and I just want to emphasize this thought, to have or to own an Estonian flag at that point in time um, was a, basically like a death sentence, right? Well, basically, people were deported to Siberia if they found, had been found like doing anything illegal or or against like Soviet Union, which also like happened to the most of my family in the island. Like uh, my great grandfather and most of the family was like deported to Siberia, and basically on a day that they took the family. You know, my my grandfather was actually like kind of excited, you know, like, you know, guess those Soviet the soldiers came to your house and they were like, you know, driving you with the car and like to drive with the car at that time. That was like, you know, the most awesome thing to do, guys. There wasn't a lot uh, of cars, you know, yeah. and my grandfather actually kind of like looked forward to it. And, yeah. But um, my great grandmother grandfather's mother like uh like the guy who came in the morning to give them away he also helped to hide my grandfather and i think 
also his sister away so they wouldn't have to go to Siberia and yeah so some of the children they were hided away in the island and they didn't go to Siberia but like my great-grandfather and great-grandmother and their parents they all went to Siberia for a long time and Basically, my great-grandfather and great-grandmother, they both went to Siberia, but there was, like, one-year gap, like, great-grandfather, I think, was the first one to go, and, no, actually, he was the second one, and great-mother, great-grandmother went first, but uh, their parents, like, they died in Siberia, but my great-grandfather and great-grandmother, they came back to Estonia after many years. (laughs) That's so crazy, man. You know, when I was in Stockholm, Sweden, I was spending some time with, uh, you know, some of the Estonians. There's a St- an Estonian community in Stockholm and an Estonian church that I went to and I was able to be at and hang out with some of the, the church members. Um, the um, They were telling me that, you know, they're, they're the product of the occupation because they they fled Estonia and they went to Sweden. And, you know, they speak English, Swedish, Estonian. Some were speaking German and I was just tripping out because I was like, man, like, that's so crazy. I've never known like that type of life to have to really flee your home and stay gone. So then, so this documentary, personally for you, how how does it feel to really kind of do this project? Does it feel like, like you feel like you're contributing to like, you know, the, the passionate, um, to be, to be proud of your country. To be proud of my country. Hmm. That's a hard topic I would say, but, but definitely like, I feel like, you know, I think like in this modern day, like where we live in, like like the patriotism, it's not definitely not not the same as it was like at the time of Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's, I would say, in like the younger generation, it's like slowly fading away. You know this idea of like a Europe Union. You know they want to do they want to change Europe Union as like as the states are, they want to do, like, Europe states. And okay. they want to do, like, one country of all the nations of Europe Union, like, and I see, like, it's going that direction, like, you know, and people, like, they try to kind of change your intended, like, intensity into something that is, like, only, like, the one in Europe, like almost as it was like in Soviet time, so it's kind of, but it's like it's pushed on us like in a different way today. But how do you feel about that? Do you feel like this is something you want or don't want? I, I definitely don't want it, but you know, it's kind of sad for me, like because you know Estonia is a very small country and like the culture, you know, the more we kind of like come one with the Europe and like more we let in you know and more like there's so many in younger generation there's so many people like going abroad and living their life abroad and you know and you know there's not that kind of um, strong culture anymore that Estonia used to have Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. slowly trying to destroy that you know and but still we, we I feel like we've been pretty strong as Estonians, like even midst of all these times we live in. 
I feel there yeah. there is still like this Estonian culture. It exists. It's like tribes. Like, and I, I would say if if you come here as a foreigner, you can definitely feel it. Kind of, you know. I don't know how yeah. how did you feel like being here in Estonia, yeah. <laughs> like like especially with being like with this darker skin person, you know. Yeah, I, like I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as far as to say like we felt like a major prejudice. I think we just knew we were different in Estonia because I felt like it's such a tight knit community or it was a tight knit community when we got there that any foreigner was really a foreigner. Like people were like, what the heck? Like, why does he have black hair? <laughs> and um, it was it was cool because it was so different. But I think like now, like I appreciate the um, the uniqueness, the identity of Estonia. You know, our son was born there. And so that's just something cool to say. Like our son was born in Estonia. I mean, we're we're doing this interview off of Skype, and Skype was invented, uh, or the code was written by uh, a group of three guys. And as I understood it, one of them was Estonian. Yeah, they say it's. We say it's made by Estonians. So, okay, so you take the ownership of all of it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Skype made by Estonians, but it was sold to Microsoft. You know, like and and people use it all around the world. And so for me, I think that's that's a cool thing that I saw in Estonia was this major movement on ideas. Like people had these ideas, they had these dreams, these visions, or like like not in like any real spiritual way, but like just entrepreneurship. And people really pursued that. And I thought that was really unique to Estonia because such a small country outputting such a huge change into society was big. That's a big deal. Um, even now, if we look at Estonia and some of the examples they've uh, – they, I've seen on the on the news in America, the news in Europe, where they're saying, "Look at a country like Estonia. This is how they did it," and that's cool, man. That's really cool to see that. So I can understand you're like, um, not. I don't think you hate the European Union, but I think you can. You feel almost like, dude, like, what about who we are? We just don't want to get lost in the mix. Yeah, like, guys, we are not a big nation, and like, right, and you know. The more we mix in, like the smaller is the voice of our like identity and culture and all that. That's true, man. That really is true. Yeah. You know, I was I, in on one end too. Like, uh, we were just talking about this. We were in San Diego, California, and we were at this place called uh, Barrio Logan. And in Barrio Logan, there's a there's a park called Chicano Park. And they were doing this major event and they had, you know, a bunch of motorcycles, lowriders. And then we went to this coffee house called Por Vida. And then we went to uh, um, just, you know, this area and it's just full of Hispanic owned and operated businesses. And and for me, I told Vanessa, I was like, man, don't you feel like you fit in? <laughs> and she was like, yeah. She's like, well, yes and no, because she's not like a she's not like a lowrider chick or anything. <laughs> so, so, you know, we fit in. But um, but on the same end, we were thinking like, like this is the place we need to bring Estonians or Germans or anybody from Europe that doesn't get what it feels like to be a foreigner, because like we fit in. This is like us. This was like these are our people. This is like normal, and to bring someone from another country into that place would really make them feel like a foreigner. And I think there's there's something about that though that really helps people to see differently. Um, I think it's a good thing. I think, I think we should all learn to um, celebrate our differences. Okay. okay to this day, uh, kefir is not my thing. <laughs> it's 
it's just not something I'm going to go and order and drink and enjoy. But oh, I saw so neither. many Estonians. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I saw a lot of Estonians enjoying it. And Kohuke. Kohuke. That's, that's something Estonian. Um, but you like Kohuke, though. I, I did like some variations of it. But I would still say, like, if I'm in the States and I see it in the store, I'm probably not going to get it. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> but it was good when I was there. There were some things that I, I did really enjoy. Um, you know, like the – I would have to say, like – Estonian porridge, I know it's not unique to Estonia, but it's the only place that I've really enjoyed it. Like I've literally been like, man, I wish I could get some of that again, especially from the little cafe by the by the church yeah, on the way to Bobli. Yes, that place was the best, man. I'd go there after prayer on Fridays and, you know, read my word, get some porridge, coffee. That place was my favorite. I haven't been there a long time. <laughs> oh, it's a, I mean, it's a great place. Yeah. But I think I say all that to say, like, like I, I love celebrating the differences, but I also love, like, being able to um, show people that, like, like, being different is not a bad thing at all, man. It's not bad. Um, and to celebrate, like, you know, to be able to celebrate. Like, you guys have a, have a heritage. You guys have, like, this is who we are as Estonia, you know? Like, that's awesome. Yeah, um, definitely. What about... What about in the churches? Like, like, how do you do? You see any of that? I know for me, like, I witnessed a few different things here and there. But like, what are your perspectives? What is your perspective on the way the church has had to deal with um, the past of Russia and Russians, and you know, trying to be like a Christian community, and you're Estonian and you have maybe some Russians in the church. Like, how do you how do you see that? Like, how's that played out? You know, as we like. I talked with my grandfather and, you know, the topic came up like, uh, like, what does he feel like for Russians right now? And the interesting thing was like, um, the media kind of tries to push this agenda that, you know, the, you know, that kind of looked down on Russians or like, you know, the influence that the, was bad that they had in history. But my grandfather says, like, said that he he doesn't hate them. He doesn't like he doesn't have anything against them. He's actually like thankful for most of the Russians. Like when his mother was deported to Siberia, there was a Russian family in Siberia who helped my grand great grandmother basically get up in life again and you know go on with life because she was in bad situation at that time like her parents they were sick and like she couldn't just you know keep it together mm -hmm. but there was this family that helped her so in a way my grandfather is very thankful to the russians but you know the bad side was it like the Soviet Union, you know, not the Russians. Yeah. Like there are differences between like Russians and like Soviet Union. But uh, church-wise, I would say. Can you clarify the question? Like, do you see like still a major separation? Do you see like people have been able to get over um, some of the hurt? Like me personally, I don't feel like any kind of wall between myself and like Russian community but 
there are definitely some people that maybe have some issues but it, mm-hmm. for me it's hard to talk about because it's never been me so okay i don't and, and that's actually an important thought because how old are you i'm turning 24 on the 27th of october yeah so then that puts you in this like millennial age yeah i'm like hardcore millennial <laughs> <laughs> What about you in the church as a millennial? What are some things that you feel like, man, like we need to do this or we need to stop doing that? You know, there's a lot, I would say. <laughs> so it's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. Yeah, okay. That's, that's... So what are the major things that you feel like, man, we need to do more of this and less of that? Not specifically to Estonia, but more just as you see us as a whole, like internationally even. Yeah, so there was point in my life where I just did my regular Christianity. I went to church. I didn't ask a lot of questions. Like most of it, what we did, like seemed okay. But there was like, um, there was like change at some point. Like, I don't know exactly like how did it happen or what happened to me. But I started like questioning like everything that the church did. And... I started like digging in hard, like, why do we do that? Like, why do we worship like that on Sunday? Why do we give our diets? Like, why doesn't New Testament say anything about dieting? You know, why do we have 45 minute sermon? Why do we have a search system as we have right now? Like, all those questions. Like, I questioned everything mm-hmm. that was in church. Mm-hmm. And. The kind of system that I that the church exists today, you know, you know, I feel kind of that's my like personal opinion, but I feel like churches like kind of become have become this product that is like catered, you know, to Christians. Like it, it's not so genuine anymore for me. Like if I look like maybe the mega churches in states and like. It's basically, you know, it's 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 so much preparation to do the like the best catering for the Christians so they could come, like they could have big numbers, they could like I don't know, maybe get some diets, you know. Cause there are definitely churches who do like watch their like income numbers and they change do changes of that, you know. And like for myself where I, like, I definitely haven't figured it out, like, what's the answer or what's the right way to do it. But in my heart, I feel like if I ever had to do church, I would do, like, a home church. You know, where it's, it's like, very simple in a way and very, like, authentic. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. I think um, a lot of the system that the church has come to right now is about retaining people and gathering other Christians. Let me let me say this. When I was in Germany, where we just recently got back into the U.S., and um, in Germany, I would say, uh, where I felt the Holy Spirit was doing the most work was not in the churches, not in the churches that um, have been there for years, have large crowds. I mean, I'm sure the Holy Spirit is doing work there. I'm just saying where I saw it blatantly was in small little house churches, small group meetings, 
prayer meetings. Like we saw like awesome things going on. So like, I'm I'm on the same page with you. Like you can never go far with people in a big number gathering. Like you can never touch the issues of every person in that room. Like so the na the less the number in the room you are speaking to, you know, the more you can narrow it down and you know the deeper you can like lead those people I think. It's like I would like split it up every time it like grows too big. Yeah, that's true. However, if you take that, as you just said, you split it up when it grows too big and you, you kind of position people to lead smaller groups, smaller groups, smaller groups. The same thing could be done in a mega church setting. So where you come together on a Sunday morning, but all throughout the week, you're split up into small groups all throughout the area. So on one end, like it's kind of like, I get what you're saying, I hear you, but I don't think all large ministries are like that. Because I really do, I really do see some genuine stuff going on in some large ministries. Um, but I also, I, I hear what you're saying about how it's turned into kind of like a marketing thing or a business thing to get more people tithing, more people giving. Because in the end, like um, on, on one situation, if you buy a large building, and you lose all your people, you're still you still have that bill. I definitely wouldn't like generalize the church. Like there are definitely like good churches out there, and good big churches out there, and they're definitely doing a good thing. But you know, I've heard also like many cases like uh, at the other side of like the fence, like where you know things have gone really bad with the big church. You know, the very, yeah. They kind of start catering and, you know, I've heard like big churches, you know, go far as, you know, if you are in the first three rows and it's, there's like a worship service, then, you know, it's a must that you have to raise your hands during worship service. So, yeah. Yeah. So, production so would, value. So it would good, look good in video. Yep. I, I yep. definitely wouldn't go there. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think, well, I think that's like. It's it's almost it's presenting like something that's not true. It's deceptive. Like even though we would say like, oh, these people they love to worship, so let's put them in the first three rows. Like that's borderline being deceptive because it's like you know that they're gonna lift their hands, so let's put them there to show people that everybody lifts their hands in the service. Yeah, it's like if you look the video back and it's like you see them first time. And feels like wow you know god is really moving you know those people they're like worshiping god but what actually is beneath it you know as you learn like you know i feel like betrayed <laughs> and it's, yeah uh, it kind of ruins it for me so yeah yeah but but again like like i think we have to be very focused on number one church as an organization or a ministry is not the point of Christianity. Absolutely. Um, uh, actually, just Sunday, uh, Pastor Donna Neville did a sermon, and in the sermon she, she, she made a point to say we must dig our roots in deep. And, and just before that, maybe a few days before, someone was saying, like, like we have to be rooted in the church. And I, and I really kind of, like— argued that point and said like, well, if you're saying we have to be rooted into the church as an organization, that's not true. That's nowhere in the Bible. P 
people say you got to be rooted to really grow. And that's very true. But there are definitely places in church that need like uh, need to like deconstruct and after that need to like reconstruct it. Well, yeah, I mean, because I mean, if you look at scripture, it says be rooted into Christ. Be rooted into him. And we take the we take the thought and we bring it with other scripture and say, like, well, the body of Christ is the church. And so that's where we get this idea of being rooted into the church. However, the clarity of that for me is being rooted into your relationship with Jesus. That is what makes you the church. Yeah, Because if you have no relationship with Jesus and you go to a church, you're not really a Christian. Church should like always appoint people to Jesus. That should be like yeah, the basic. Yeah, exactly. 100%. So then for me, like I hear what you're saying. And I think a lot of people really market it as like, you know, root yourself into the church. Make sure you do the, um, you know, you do, you do your tithing. I believe in tithing. I think you should tithe. Um, if not for any super spiritual reason, just for the sake of being able to have resources available as a church to buy things, to help people, um, you know, to pay rent if you guys are in a building, st- simple stuff like that. But um, I think the area of like really making sure that Christ is the center should be the focus of any Christian, yeah. any person, should, like, anybody involved. We should always like look look our church and think about it. Okay, are we right now? Is the church like? Is the church as a as a, like a structure or like um, like yeah structure being like? Are we centering our church so that could function? Are we doing things to? make our church function or are we aimed and motivated truly to help people to Jesus? Yeah, that's, that's where the real, like they say, the um, proof is in the pudding. That's where the uh, tires hit the road. It's where it's like, um, it's where the real value of who we are as a church is all about the gospel. And the gospel is the presentation of Jesus, that we are in need of a savior because we are sinners. And so, um, yeah, man, that's that good thoughts. What what are some other areas that you would say like we need to stop doing that? But what could we do more of? What has inspired me to live as Christian for the last years a lot is uh, one book that is uh, written by Reuben Archer Dory, and in nineteenth century, and it, the book name is. Um, why did God use D.L. Moody, White Layman Moody? And uh, Reuben basically points out seven things that Moody did in his lifetime, regularly, every time. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that Moody did that kind of resonates with me is, um, you know, Moody really knew God. He had really a relationship like no one else. I would say at the time and like even today like you know I I try to like kind of I look around and see like you know the standards right right now and like the standards like maybe that the Christians hold in Asia and like we here in western countries and you know if we want to truly influence be as influence as a Christian we need you know the word, the word of God in us you know 
and more we study it, more we get to know the knowledge that God has given us through Bible, you know, the more, you know, that will reflect, you know, in every day of our lives. Well, I think, I think the main thing to take away from that too is like, okay, for example, anybody can have criticism of the church. Anybody can get up and say, you know what, the church this, the church that, pastors this, pastors that, leadership in that church this, leadership in that church that. You know, anybody can get up and say that. You can guy, get a guy who smokes weed um, uh, four times a day to, to teach you philosophy on Christian living. Like he can, he can get up and teach you all about the way the Christian should live because a lot of people have the knowledge of what, it, what church is about. But the reality is only those with relationship with Jesus can influence the world and, and challenge the church. So it, I think it's important to take into context like everything we're talking about. Like for me, man, I pray daily. I read my word daily. Uh, sharing the gospel, I pray for opportunity daily. Now, that doesn't mean it happens. And I'll tell you what, like I'm not naturally someone that's going to go to somebody and be like, hey, man, you need to go to church right now today with me. Like I'm going to I'm going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do whatever. If I feel the Holy Spirit challenging me to go preach to that person, to go pray for that person, that's obedience. As we begin to close, uh, you know, Wind Build Send podcast, we always want to talk about your, your thoughts and your ideas on evangelism discipleship and multiplication so briefly as we close up what are your thoughts on that how can we do it better uh what can we do more of what do we need to stop doing what are your thoughts man i definitely think it starts at your you know prayer room you know coming to know god and because every in everyday life like more we know god you know the more it will reflect in our, you know, preaching in our everyday life, on our, you know, preaching of gospel on streets or in our church or in our work. So that's what, you know, D.L. Moody has basically inspired me, you know, to do. And also your father, Pastor Robert, you know, just mm -hmm. to really have a relationship with God, you know. I think mm -hmm. that's like the one of the most important things, you know, to know God's heart and to go from there. Mm -hmm. And so that would help you in evangelism, in discipling people, and in uh, multiplication. Definitely, like, you know, because when we know God, you know, it gives us boldness, it gives us... When we truly know God, we know, like, God will move. And, and we know that God is supernatural God and there is no limits to Him. And the closer we come to Him at the... Uh, more we come to see of that so yeah 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 all right man yeah this has been good thank you alexander for being on this podcast thank you for having me all right, all right. talk to you later all right Thank you for listening. Please like, share, and subscribe.